Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson in New York. And I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. It is Friday, January 2nd, about 3.40 in the afternoon, 2009. Yeah, Happy New Year, David. Happy New Year to you. I believe you are responsible for our indicator today. What is it? It's the number 10. I'm trying to think what ten would be. It's ten rounds of boxing. What? <laughs> we're gonna have later in this in the podcast. We're gonna have a boxing match between two economists. And actually, the indication is that there is there's a lot of boxing among economists these days. Um, you and I were talking about how all the mail we get saying. You know, either people just saying, hey, I hear about these different schools of economics, Keynesian and Austrian and Friedmanian and supply side. What are these schools? And I don't know. What should I be all agree? Can't we all agree? Um, We also get some slightly angry emails from time to time accusing us of being Keynesians or Friedmanians or Austrians (laughs) or whatever. We've gotten a fair bit of mail on this question. So we are going to get into this issue. We're not advocating any school. We are the uh, referee in the middle of the ring. Right. We're just the referee. That's all. In fact, let's start it, David. Let's start this bare knuckle fight that you arranged. You actually got, you you, you built a boxing ring at, in NPR <laughs> studios. <laughs> you, I, I, yes. I, I put the two economists in colored shorts of their choosing. Right. Although uh, NPR was not willing to pay for the shorts at this time, but but you did get the shorts for them. And basically what you had them fight over is the huge stimulus plan being assembled by the incoming President-elect Obama administration. Um, so it's the biggest question of the day. I could think it's of, the really. biggest question of the day. Exactly. And they have completely different views on it. All right. So to the boxing ring. Since these are economists, this will be, of course, a fight with words. But the metaphor is helpful. In one corner, wearing, he wants it to be blood-red shorts, Russell Roberts. I'm an economist at George Mason University. Russell Roberts is a particular kind of economist. He describes himself as Austrian school Chicago supply-sider. Basically, he's a free market guy, believes the economy works best when the government doesn't go messing around with it. In the other corner, in, say, blue shorts, is Steve Fazari. I'm professor of economics at Washington University, and I'm happy to describe myself as a Keynesian macroeconomist. After the economist John Maynard Keynes. We've set up this boxing match because each side scores some good hits. Let's start with Steve Fazari. He thinks we need a big stimulus package now. Millions of very talented people are out of work just sitting idle, not helping the economy. It's a total waste. In order to get people working again and get the economy going again, someone, somewhere, has to step in and spend. So where's the spending going to come from? For a long time, it came from consumers. When the economy got in trouble over the last uh, 20 or 30 years, we seemed to rely on the consumer to start spending again. But now that source of spending has run out of gas. Companies aren't really spending either. And other countries... They aren't buying our stuff because the crisis is global. And about the only source that's left is the government. Now, that may seem pretty convincing, but it is not, to the guy in the blood-red shorts, 
Russell Roberts. I find it horrifying, personally. The idea that the government is going to decide where a trillion dollars of our economy is spent rather than the rest of us deciding it is not, to me, a good sign. Now, the folks on President-elect Obama's team are working on a big stimulus plan, big enough, they say, to create three million new jobs, people repairing bridges, improving the educational system, developing green technology, three million new jobs. But Russell Roberts doesn't buy that number because the government has to get all that money from somewhere. And every dollar the government spends is a dollar not available for the rest of us to spend on new cars or starting up new businesses, which would also create jobs. We're a $14 trillion economy, roughly. And the government spends about $3 trillion of that right now and climbing. So as the share of the government gets larger and larger, the real productive stuff that we do gets decided by people in Washington rather than the rest of us. I hope they do a good job. They tend to be under political pressure to do things that are politically wise, not always the stuff that's economically wise. Like ethanol subsidies. The stimulus package, he says, it's unnecessary. There are people with plenty of money out there. They will have to invest it. It might take a while, but it's inevitable. The economy will recover. So who is right? Unfortunately, these two schools of thought have only had one proper fight, one contest, and that was the Great Depression. And both sides claim it as a victory. The Keynesians say government spending got us out of the Great Depression, All that World War II money spent making bombs, all those military salaries, got the economy on its feet again. But the free market folks argue the exact opposite, that the war spending held the economy back, and the country only really recovered after when the government let the economy alone. Russell Roberts says, to be fair, if this were a boxing match, it would be hard to pick a winner. In general, we're flying by the seat of our pants, and anybody who says otherwise is just uh, whistling in the dark. Will we know in the end who's right years from now? I don't think so. Uh, Come on. That's a terrible answer. Yeah, No, I think it's the truth, though. But I don't think we have a very good idea of what ended the Great Depression. We still have a bunch of people on different sides of that debate yelling and screaming about it today. Steve Fazari, on the other hand, is pretty sure he and his Keynesian friends are right, that a massive stimulus plan is needed. But he agrees it's hard to know for sure. So unlike physicists and chemists who do controlled experiments, economists have to infer based on a mix of logic and sometimes anecdotal historical evidence, sometimes tighter statistical evidence, and try to muddle their way to an answer. Does that ever unnerve you? Uh, Yes, I am concerned about how we're going to recover from this problem. The problem looks bigger than anything I've seen during my professional career. So yes, I do find it scary. The sparring over how and whether the government should spend what could be a trillion extra dollars will be moving to a venue famous for sparring, Congress. Hey, David, I love that piece. Thank you very much. That was, um, you know what my wife said this morning when she heard it? What? It's sticky, but it really works. <laughs> you know, I felt kind of bad because when we actually did the interviews for that, we hadn't thought of the boxing thing yet. So they did those interviews in a very sober, like, you will treat us with respect. And then I actually put them in the colored shorts and made them fight. But they're okay with it. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, and it shows you the lengths to which Planet Money will go to bring clarity to complicated economic issues. 
Um, the other thing we were talking about today was uh, these different schools, right? And so I come from a physics background. Right? You actually have a PhD in physics PhD from in physics. no less a place than Harvard. Right. You, turns out you can get those by mailing in enough cereal box tops these days. But, right. um, the, uh, you know, in physics, it's, it's different, right? Because we are closing in on a theory of everything. Literally one equation, I could write it down if I remembered it, that uh, explains almost the world. You know, and eventually the idea is all the physicists will retire. Uh, and we will have the answer. So how are we doing in economics? Like, what kind of progress have we actually made? Well, this is something I've been fascinated with ever since I started reporting on economics is, is there anything economists agree on? Or is it all just battles like like the battle you, you just had? And And what I'd say is, kind of roughly, that there's an awful lot of agreement. There is a huge amount of agreement. There's and the agreement tends to be around what's good over the long haul, over decades and decades or centuries. For example, and it's kind of obvious stuff, like of course it's good, that economies that have more education grow faster. Mm-hmm. Economies that have less government control over prices, like you know, government bodies that determine how much grain should cost or whatever. Economies that have a free market system for determining prices, those grow faster. Economies that allow resources to be allocated to the most productive use, those grow faster. So, you know, if you compare the U.S. to France, a common critique of France is they have all sorts of structures that if there's an industry that's dying, they, they, you can't take resources away. You can't take people and money and things away from that because the government makes – keeps the resources there. So I think that's something even – you know, it sounds like I might – some people might think I'm sounding like some right-wing Republican. I'm not. I mean, this is standard economics. This is like left-wing, right-wing, everyone. Pretty much every economist agrees that tariffs are a bad thing, that they don't help the general welfare. Rent control is a bad thing to pretty much any economist, left-wing or right-wing. Where they disagree, where they yeah, can't... where do they disagree? Where they can't see eye to eye is short-term problems. So the crisis we're in right now the the nature of you know what's the economy going to be doing over the next few months or even the next 3 years or 5 years what's the government's role in you know making sure that 3 years from now or 2 years from now we're going to be in better shape if if you and I wanted to craft a plan for the next 20 or 30 or 50 years i think we could craft one that 90% of economists would agree on if we want to craft a plan for the next 6 months I think, like, it would be hard to get 20% of economists to agree on any one thing. Does event does anybody ever lose? I mean, have we had schools of thought we've given up on? I guess, you know, communism was not just an idea. It's actually one that doesn't work, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, many economists anyway would say that the intellectual foundation of communism was destroyed in the 40s um, by a lot of work, a- economic academic work. I mean, part of the problem is when you do physics experiments, as I understand it, I mean, you've told me about some of the stuff you work on, you get so much data, it's crazy, right? Like you you get an answer and you're like, sorry, you're wrong. And congratulations, here's your Nobel Prize. You're right. Right. And you you have, like, you worked on the... Collider, right? The, yeah, the, the, the big particle accelerator out in Chicago, outside Chicago. Outside yeah. of Chicago. That's when we became friends when you were working there. And you're, you have so – if I remember correctly, you have so much data, it takes computers months just to crunch all the numbers. Whereas economics, like we have one great depression, you know? That's it. Right. We, we don't have 
if, if there had been a thousand Great Depressions and if we could go to a lab and just create Great Depressions, you know. Which uh, they try and do, right? They try and do little experiments with students in classrooms or something. But, but those are such abstract models. It's not – it doesn't have the complexity of a full economic system. That's, that's, that's the problem. Now, have there been schools of thought that have gone away? Absolutely. No question. I mean there are, there are ideas that are just clearly not fully right. There are lots of ideas that, that have been – you know, I'd say the pre-Keynesian classical economic view of the world – was replaced by Keynes and post-Keynes. So even if you disagree with Keynes, who was this super influential economist we'll be talking a lot about on the show, um, whose great work was written in 1936, um, even if you disagree with every single point, you still live in a post-Keynes world. I mean, everything that came before was affected by his view of the world. It's kind of like saying you're a, you don't like Freud, but if you're a psychotherapist... You live in a post-Freud world, whether you like it or not. I mean, right, but you can't say you don't like Einstein, you know. I mean, right, yeah. Right. I mean, I think, obviously, there's a precision to, to physical science that is... I, I, but you think we've made progress, right? You oh, think, yes. Like, you know, like it does every seem like we made... say, there are things we know now for sure that we really didn't understand. It's actually measurable ago. progress. That's the thing, that you... It does seem that economies grow more and more steadily... Um, with less violence and fluctuation, although right now it's hard to make that argument terribly clearly, in the you know post World War II period than before. However, every because it's such a dynamic system, every time we think we've solved the world's problems and we've figured out economics, we face another problem created by the very feeling that we've solved the problems because. Um, when we think we've solved problems, people feel that there's less risk in the economy, so they take on more risk than maybe they should, and then we have a bigger explosion than the last explosion we had. <laughs> so basically, once every time we say, we have a theory of everything, everyone goes out and lives based with over-enthusiastically based on that. And of course, it wasn't quite right, and then we have a whole new problem. Exactly. Everybody acting that way. Exactly. I think that does it for today. Uh, there is one other thing we want to mention, which is that um, since it's the new year, we are uh, we know you all have New Year's resolutions. We want your predictions also. So pick any financial indicator. You know we're very loose with economic indicators here. So it could be the price of milk, the stock market, whatever you want, and let us know where you think it's going to be a year from now. Post it on our blog, npr.org slash money, or send us an email, planetmoney at npr.org. We're going to hold on to these for a year. And then we're going to call at least some of you a year from now and say, well, how'd you do? All right, David, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. I'm Adam Davidson. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. Ah!